Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, Kristen Birchinell talks with Peter Gadd as they continue our series, The Way I See It. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Well, hey, Eastlake, it's Kristen, and I am here with Peter Gadd, and we are in this series um, that we are so excited about. Peter and I have been talking about this for a while, just... We want to be talking more about helping people recognize what is your worldview? How do you assign value to your life? What are the things that matter? Um, And so I just, I'm so excited. I'm excited for the people we have lined up and I really am looking forward to interviewing Peter um, about about what he said. Um, First of all, I have to say, I don't know if we can get this cleaned up audio wise, but during Peter's recording, there's like some of sounds of his kids in the background, which happens when you're working from home and on the computer and stuff. But I was watching it at night and I kept having to stop and be like, are my kids awake? Did I mention the talk that I have four kids? I think I said that 22 times. So you did. My apology. Uh, and like some like thumps and I was like, whoa, what's happening? And it was just the Gad household, which I love. So we got injured and made it. Um, okay. So we're in this series the way I see it. And you kicked it off. I loved listening to your message, to your thoughts. And the plan is kind of for you and I to do these interviews. Hopefully we can both be a part of them, but at least for this one, I'm a part of this one to interview you just to get some more information about the things that you shared and the thoughts that that brought up in me. And so I'm looking forward to it. I hope this is helpful for people too. Um, Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is what you said at the very beginning. Um, and I haven't shared these questions with Peter ahead of time. So no, this is full like surprise mode for me. I'm kind of <laughs> I think before you even jump into questions, that's too, one quick comment. Um, we are kind of experimenting a little bit with format in terms of like, yeah. how do we want to do the content? How do we want to like provide the content for our community? And this series, I think is a, just a step towards more conversations. I don't think we know necessarily all the different formats, but yeah. when there's a talk, and I'm just talking into a camera out and sharing thoughts out in the universe. Like when I'm done with that talk, it's, there's some of it that I'm like, I think I think that. And there's other stuff where I'm like, ah, I can understand how if you heard it that way, you didn't hear what I meant. You just heard what I said. Right. And I, I meant it yeah. a different way. So I think part of the, the goal or the hope with these follow-up discussions is that we can get into the intent of what people are meaning and um, even hearing where they disagree with their own thoughts. So I'm excited yeah. for you to push back because I mean, it's not like I communicated my thoughts. I communicated what the, I think I'm biased and delusional. And so I think um, when you push back on that idea, of course, I'll be like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> so anyways, I'm excited to hear what your questions are. You're not delusional. Peter Gatt has all truth. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Is that, is that what I said? I feel like that was the main point. That would be my the push the pushback to what you said. So <laughs> yeah. no, but I'm not going to say that. Um, 
Okay, but you did start by saying, I have accepted that my worldview is intrinsically flawed. Mm. And I feel like that's a big deal to to say that. I don't think that's the way people view themselves. And I think it's an admission that's hard to get to. Mm. And so I guess I just want to ask you, was it hard for you to get there? Do you think it's hard for other people to get there? Like, how do you, how do you even get to that spot where you're like, hmm, I'm flawed? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, I think, um, well, there's a couple thoughts. So I, I grew up being told I was flawed. I, was, I grew up being told um, um, that I am a sinner or that I am broken, right? That's some of the intrinsic language in, in the worldview that I grew up with. That feels different though than the way I interpret truth and reality is flawed. You know what I mean? Mm. Because I think I grew up with a very stable position on truth um, while an an unstable position on like my core identity. And now I feel like I have a little bit more confidence in who I am at my core, but a lot less conviction on what I believe is is true. Because ultimately what's happened in my life for the last 15 years is what I call true keeps changing. So, so I think part of the admission to, um, and not let us keep changing, it's just evolving. That's what I was trying to highlight, right? It doesn't yeah. mean that I, like, I still hold on to 80% of the stuff probably that I grew up with um, from a morality perspective and from what's good and how to live life and what habits are helpful and how to be a beneficial presence. I was taught some of that stuff as a kid, uh, much of that stuff. And I think just my motivation for why to live that way has changed. Um, so anyways, when I hear your question, if I'm, if I'm summarizing it correctly, you're asking, how do you get to that position? Um, I just feel like I'm, I feel like that's a hard place to get to. And it feels like the more and more I look at the world around me and interactions between people, I don't feel like the general population is approaching things with that. I have an intrinsically flawed view of the world. I agree. I mean, I'm not on social media. It's been wonderful. I know um, one of the reasons why I'm not is because I don't want to hear people say they're right all the time mm-hmm. um, and not like admit they're wrong because it's, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but yeah, I, I got things wrong. Post never goes viral. So it's not a great, it's not a great uh, way to get famous um, or to hear your thoughts on, hey, here's all the things I've changed my mind on. Um, yeah. I do think that some people don't ever embrace that worldview um like i would assume you know many people who are at later stages in life who hold the same positions they've for the most part always held um i do and so i I don't think that that is um well adopted as an approach to life that everybody thinks that uh, thinks that by any means i guess i've found some that that position seems the most likely um i i keep having experiences where my perspective doesn't work it doesn't scale for people Mm -hmm. who aren't like me right like if you grew up in middle class america and um, went to college and then living a corporate life like your life is not everybody's life i'm a man my life is not everybody's life right and there's a reason why the term mansplaining exists it's because men's explanations of stuff is out of touch with how women perceive it right at least that's my my interpretation of i think i'm helping and really i'm actually just pissing you off is what that is right <laughs> let me explain it to you so 
that term exists because it's a consistent pattern where as a man I'm explaining something and it's not being received well and so I think that that's an example of my bias or my delusion I think it's some level of yeah. a very like culturally silly way or um that's an, like a high level of surfacey type of term where and it gets way more serious right when it comes to race or gender or cultural divide or politics um i think it gets there's a lot more examples of how my perspective isn't everyone's perspective it's just my perspective and i think i've, I've found it to be helpful to see it that way um to accept that because i think that gives me a bit more empathy um, yeah. for myself and others um because I, I don't know what's the alternative the alternative is i think that's the question what is the alternative so if i'm either biased or i'm definitely right or and everybody else is an idiot which is a common position mm -hmm. if you don't think like me you're dumber than me or if you don't think like me you will eventually once i explain it to you <laughs> that's the thing right yes so I, and i just i feel like is that working like who is everybody that doesn't think like me dumber than me that's obviously not true there's there are tons of very highly intelligent people that don't hold my positions and i've tried explaining some of my positions to people and not everybody is on board with them so it seems as if like there's no other alternative like if there is another one i'd be interested in hearing it but that's kind of my, i guess my current take on it what do you what is your what do you think like what how did that hit you well i just feel like that in itself that could have just been your message and that could have been enough for people to think about of um have i gotten to the point where i'm humble enough to admit that the way I see the world is not reality. It's just my reality. Mm. Um, it's very unsettling. So I don't want to, I think maybe I glossed over <laughs> that in the talk, but like it, it is a, I wouldn't say I arrived there easily or quickly or without great yeah. clinging, right? And like that you're <laughs> like, you're falling off the cliff and your fingernails yeah. are digging in, right? Um, after you let go and you're just, out outside of your rightness i think there's a little bit more stability um there yeah i have i have a question about that in just a minute i think um the next part that you talked about was the different types of bias yeah. and um, when you talked about confirmation bias where we interpret new information in a way that supports what we already think mm -hmm. you said um how to manage that you look for things that counteract your beliefs okay so i wanted to ask you yeah. do you actually do that no like, do it, it sounded really good <laughs> I'm just do you actively go out and read or watch things that you know are going to be mm. counteractive to your thoughts already that's a good question i'm sure i could do it more um i think i have relationships with people that tend to think differently so if you just mm -hmm. think politics like i have friends who are very liberal and friends who are not very conservative right yeah and when i take and, and i do in, engage in conversations where i kind of get the perspective from this side and get the perspective from the other side um mm -hmm. at, a, at an attempt to try to come to grips with like what do i think um, I think that's one of the challenges personally of this worldview is I don't know what I think on a lot of things because I'm like, wow, there's some merits to that idea and merits to that idea. So now I'm just this wishy-washy person that I feel like that gets a all lot. Sides. Yeah. I feel like that a lot where I cannot arrive at any sort of conclusion about things because I've trained myself to see 
different perspectives. And then all of a sudden I'm like, gosh, I don't really have an opinion about, I don't have an opinion about a lot of things, which frustrates, it frustrates my husband. But, and I was going to say for this part, like, I feel like having a spouse or at least my spouse, um, helps with the (laughs) hearing counteractive thoughts and beliefs. So no, a hundred percent agree on that. Um, I do think so. So to answer the question, like, do I go actively do it? I, I think, I think I do. Um, but there's, there's no getting around. Like we are in our own, our own bubble. So we're, we, it's hard not to like be in, it's hard to be in relationship with people who are on the, on the other side of the spectrum on a mm-hmm. specific, you know, there's too many issues, right? You can probably, if you have like five core issues with five core values and you're best friends with somebody who sees the exact opposite on five things, like good luck being best friends with them yeah. for longer than a couple of weeks. Um, so I think you do have to surround yourself with people that are like-minded. That's just going to be natural. Um, I think maybe the the principle there or the point would be to recognize that when somebody thinks differently than you, they're probably not stupid. That That's probably not the first thing we should assume is they're just dumber. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're probably wrong. Like I think like ultimately we always think we're right. And I think that's okay. That there's no way to live life. Like of course you're going to make decisions through the lenses that you think are going to be good for you and your, your family and your, your outcomes that you're searching for. But when something counteracts our belief, I think the goal that I think all I'm highlighting is that I don't want to be dismissive of of that. I do want to maybe make a quick aside too, because I am certainly somebody that like, I I value evidence. I think I've even said in last examples, like I'm an evidentialist, (laughs) right. Uh, Or less talks. I mean, that was a long time ago, but I think that term for me is helpful. Meaning I, I don't live in a completely relative universe where every, every idea is equally good and equally considerable. Like there's, I think there are many dumb ideas and I'm very comfortable dismissing what I believe to be a dumb idea. Um, I think the grounds for which I arrive at that are, are is fact and science and probabilities. That's what I was trying to talk about a little bit too, of like, we got to get comfortable with probabilities. Um, so I'm meaning that, I think when there is data, how data that counteracts our belief, that is compelling to me. That's more what I'm saying than my uncle shared an article on Facebook that's different than what I think. I should yeah. definitely consider it, not necessarily, right? If your evidence is grounded in, in data and science and things that are, you are trustworthy, then keep going with that. If you are, your perspective is grounded in, I think, um, mm-hmm. you should make sure there's evidence and data from a double blind study that actually the Supports your belief. Okay. So (laughs) what about for people who aren't like you? Like people who aren't like evidence, data, science, probability. Like Mm. there's a lot of people out there who aren't like that. People who um, are more emotional based things on feelings. And I don't feel like that's necessarily wrong. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. Like. I know you, you're one yeah. of my good friends. And I know that like you require data and yeah. you like spreadsheets and Google docs and all the stuff to make decisions <laughs> and not everybody does. That. Yeah. I agree. Um, and to be clear, I, I also want to recognize my bias. I've talked, talked to Brittany about this too, where I like to say that I'm uh, my, all of my decisions are grounded in data. I'm, I'm, I'm a human being and yeah. I am emotional. Um, I'm reminded, I'm not sure if this came up in the talk, it was in my notes, I think I skipped over it, but there's a book, The Righteous Mind, um, which is very well worth reading. 
Um, but one of the principles of the righteous mind talks about how the brain works. There's the thinking brain, there's a subconscious brain, basically the feeling brain at some level at a very, uh, you know, high level and how um, the prince of the metaphor of the elephant and the rider. So your subconscious mind is the elephant. Your thinking mind is the rider. So we are not rational. Rider, beings. like riding a horse or riding, riding the like riding. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, right. So the, the, think, the elephant and the rider. So, the, so okay. the person riding the elephant. So if you think about someone riding the elephant, like how in control of that elephant are they, right? Like <laughs> at some level, they're like hopeful to steer, but the elephant's driving the bus here. And so that metaphor is kind of an example of how our brain actually works. And, and the author argues that we are not rational beings. We are rationalizing beings. So, and I'm hopeful I articulated that in the talk too, that I don't think I'm a purely rational, objective being. Yeah. I have my family. I have my worldview. I have all these incentive structures, my job that influence my decisions. I don't making decisions based on pure data and pure objective reality. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm making decisions that are going to benefit me and my circle of, of influence, circle of friends. Um, but what I tend to do like most people, maybe more so than most people, is say I'm rational. So I rational, I make emotional decisions based on a lot of those things. And then I rationalize them with my thinking mind saying, here's why it's super logical that I should yeah. make a choice. So I think going back to your question about what about people who aren't. Because uh, I will say like, yeah. I, um, I'm very, I am a thinker and I always am just caught up in my head, but I'm also very much an emotional person. And I would say that, even the idea of like specifically looking for things that challenge what I already think makes me feel nervous. Like yeah. I don't naturally want to do that. I, yeah. get, I get all like squirmy and not in that I'm like, I, I know I'm right, but in a, yeah. oh, I don't know if I can handle that amount of work. <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes sense. Um, I, I think, you're very ground personally. I think you are somebody who's um, very grounded in evidence and data. Um, I think maybe that just doesn't, maybe it's just because we tend to, I don't know, align on some decisions. And I think I am, I don't know. Um, but when I think of the question earlier about people who maybe are, don't view themselves as logical or, or you know, looking for evidence, I still don't think people call themselves, I primarily make decisions emotionally. Like, I don't think, I don't think anybody says that really like, Hey, I mostly just make super emotional decisions. And then like, hopefully they work out. Like, I, I think everybody calls themselves logical. Most people do like, who's the last person to be like, I'm just super illogical. Like nobody, I feel like that ego would not allow you to say that. Right. Um, it's kind of like that bias of I'm, I'm, I'm the top 25% professor <laughs> or I'm a 90, I'm in the top 93% of drivers, right? Like yeah. nobody says I'm super illogical. Um, so I think more just the, the goal there, or the hope would be to recognize that emotion plays into our decisions. Yeah. Um, and to make sure that we are like looking at with some like clarity or some, we're asking people for input humbly, not looking for somebody to confirm my pre-existing beliefs on whether or not my decision is actually grounded in some sense of reality, or is it primarily an emotional choice? And not all choices are, is it bad to be emotional? I think, I guess there's two different kind of categories, right? Not everything's going to be grounded in data. Should I move my family to this city? Mm -hmm. I don't know, right? That seems like you're going to have to like weigh pros and cons um, versus should I um, get a vaccine? Like ultimately those are, are 
like one's going to be a lot easier to find data on than the other is all I'm saying, right? Um, so, I, and I, I think that brings up an example that yeah. probably we don't, don't want to go into on this, but all it's very front of here. mine. It's very front of yeah. mine. Like I was thinking about that when I was listening to your, yeah. your talk. Yeah. And ultimately, like, that's what I mean about probabilities and, and why um, I, I just think that is the decision that you could more easily access data than you could, should you move, so should you move your family to? A different okay. So group? one of my, one of my questions was when you talked about availability bias, Yeah, you said it's point. helpful to be aware of our own biases as we make choices. Okay. So I wanted you to walk me through what that looks like. How, like, do you, how do you recognize your biases when making decisions? So mm-hmm. can, like, can you give me some examples? Like even maybe if you're talking about like moving to another state or mm-hmm. getting a vaccine, can you walk me through your Peter Gad biases and how those weigh into those decisions? Just so I can get more examples rather than just words. Yeah. So the first thing is the best way to know about your biases is like five years later. That's the best. Hindsight. Yeah, that is always going to be your best friend there. Um, so the future is the best way to know how biased you were. Um, but like so, if you and Brittany were trying to decide right now if you were going to move to Texas, walk me through the biases that you know you have and how those would weigh into that. Mm-hmm. Well, I... Th- um, <laughs> I think we would start with all the like emotional stuff first, right? Like, do we have family there? And do I have a job there? And those are things that are like, we, we're a very checklisty type people. We literally weigh pros and cons. We write them out in like a note that we share, like pros and cons. And then, and then it's like, okay, we listed four pros and four cons on a scale of one to 10. How much is that worth? Yeah. Is that worth one or is that worth seven? Right. And then it's like, we do the math. Well, 28 on pro and 26 on con. Um, sounds like it's a coin flip, uh, basically. So that, that's kind of how we tend to make some of the bigger choices there. Um, but what be, biases would you want to be aware of as you're making that decision? Yeah, I think um, it would be the ones, I mean, I started with some of the ones that I highlighted, um, meaning I would want to look at all the ways that that choice confirmed what I want to be true, right? So that's, that's another Adam Grant one that he brought, um, desirability bias, right? So it's, it's the what, what I want to be true should be true and therefore is more likely to be true, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I would look at that one, I mean, confirmation bias, right? So how does this confirm a belief that I have um, or something that I, I, already want, I already hold to be true? Uh, availability bias to be like, hey, my brother moved to Texas and they love it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Or yeah. my friend moved to Texas, not even my real friend, but my Facebook friend moved to Texas and they posted a picture and their house is stunning. Yeah. Right? So I think we should move to Texas, Britt. Um, well, and as like, as I've said. <laughs> well, and like I can laugh right now because that sounds kind of ridiculous as a way to like weigh your decisions, but it gets in your mind, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, I see that house and it looks amazing. Maybe we should move to Texas. It probably cost half the price of our house, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then we like, uh, you know, okay. oversell That's helpful. Yeah. yeah. That's helpful to name those biases as you like what that looks like in those decisions. Yeah, I think so. I think another um, recency bias, right? So I think is another thing. So like, um, 
just meaning if it happened more recently, it's going to stick in my brain longer or, mm-hmm. or it's going to be more, more top of mind. So for instance, um, like Brittany and I never talk about, like we should relocate from Seattle in August. And it's funny, it just never comes up in August or September. But funnily enough, in February, we're like, I think I should move. <laughs> I think that this place isn't the right fit for me. And what is that, right? It's because there's there's no sun, it's rainy, it's four o'clock, it's, it's the same feeling every year, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we have like, built in a vacation in that window to give us something to look forward to other than having to up, up our entire life. But that's another kind of one that st- sticks out in my brain um, as important to consider. Like COVID, we've also had conversations with Bernie like, hey, let's not make any huge choices during COVID. This, this seems like a big thing and I'm not sure I'm seeing clearly. Am I grumpy with COVID or do I actually want that? Yeah. So that's I think some of that recency stuff. Hey everyone, it's Kristen. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life. Um, That's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world. Um, So I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community. To those of you who have participated and given financially, we wanna say thank you to you. Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place. I want it to exist for me and for other people. And so I'm going to support it. And so we just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You can go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution. We just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message. Um, As part of that, you also mentioned embracing your imperfection. Mm. Um, And I was just, when you said that, I was just thinking, when and how did perfection become the goal? And so I guess I want to know, like, what does it mean to embrace that? Is it becoming a better apologizer? Is it self-talk? Is it, like, what do you mean with embrace? Yeah, yeah, those are good examples that help me understand what you're asking. Because I'm not the first person to say that, right? Mm Because Brene Brown's got a great book on it, right? The gift <laughs> of imperfection. And um, so I think what, what comes to mind for me, there is some of that self-talk and sh- shame versus um, the idea of I made a mistake versus I, I am like at my core, I am a person, I, I am a mistake, right? That's a lot of different shame and guilt. That's Brene Brown stuff. Um, so am I wearing this as an identity or am I recognizing that I I'm, I'm, I'm human and I'm imperfect and there's no way I can make every choice perfectly. And of course I'm going to look back on a decade ago and be like, ah, yeah, that I would have would tweak that knowing now, <laughs> knowing, knowing now, um, you know? So I think um, embracing imperfection would be having some grace for yourself um, that not every choice is going to be optimal that you make. Um, you're doing the best you can with what's in front of you, um, but you're not, you don't know what, life's going to be like a decade from now and to accept that as okay. And that your choices with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, you'll always be able to improve your choices and to not 
uh, to not live in shame or to you know, call yourself a loser or have major regret over what you didn't know was like nobody would have known that right um yeah so i think that that's a bit of, of the, the headline there um i don't think it means well i'm a perfect so my choices don't matter and who the hell cares Woo-hoo, i'm making dumb choices again right so i, I don't think the, in, the intent there is to not be intentional with your choices I, I'm, I'm certainly trying to make good choices and i'm trying to make evidence-based choices and i'm trying to make choices that are going to give me get op- options in the future at the highest probability uh, but like stuff still happens, right? You can't plan on market crashes. You can't plan on COVID. You can't plan on things changing. So yeah. to like to do your best with the evidence and information that you have to humbly ask somebody to prove you wrong. Like, here's my assumptions. Here's what I'm thinking. What am I missing? Like from your perspective, is there a, is there a blind spot here that you think I should consider? And then once you've done that work, live your life, make your choices and keep walking down the path because like you can't control um, necessarily whether or not things go perfectly or not. And what my experience is too, some of the best things that have happened to me at a personal level have been because of mistakes I made. I've grown a lot and I've had to like, hopefully be more humble. And I've had to like apologize, which has ended up fostering a strengthening relationship that that scar tissue piece. So to accept some of the negative outcomes of your choices, like to look to see that there's some gifts even in those imperfections, I think is my, my take there. Yeah. What do you think on that? I just think I'm, yeah, I'm just stuck on like, how did that become the goal or the expectation that we have of ourselves that we Mm. live this perfect life? Um, Why is that in in our, in our, yeah. Why is that? I don't know how it gets there, but um, I appreciated you bringing it up and I just have been thinking like, what does that actually look like to embrace imperfection, to not have that be an expectation we place on ourselves that like every decision for good or for bad or for neutral is, you know, the trajectory of our life. And so I'm also noticing it with my kids. Um, We've been noticing recently just the, there's like an automatic kind of, shame or guilt that we see very visible in them when they do something that they shouldn't do. So like, (laughs) and we're trying to figure out how to manage that with like, there's consequences. If you punch your sister in the face, like we just don't, we're not going to do that. Um, but then I also, um, don't want there to be this like shame of like you are a bad person and yeah. all that. So trying to have, trying to instill this healthy relationship with failure, failure mistakes, yeah. things we wish we wouldn't have done. Like I really want to foster that kind of a healthy environment yeah. um, with my kids. Yeah. Because like the other day, our, my kids are just getting like physically abusive with each other. Been there <laughs> for a while the, now. Oh. On that too. Um, and the other day there was like a punch thrown and immediate like sprint to my room and mm. like cover my face. And I was like, Whoa, I haven't even said anything. I walked up there to kind of be like, are you okay? What happened? Yeah. And there was this immediate like shame that I don't think came from me. Maybe it came from like past reactions or something, but anyway. Yeah. Isn't that interesting. Um, I think that it's there, right? Like, 
that's that i mean even the story of the garden right like that i think why the story is interesting and it lasts is that's a human experience right of i there's something in me that knows Knows. i I even highlight like i think there is truth i think there is good ideas and bad ideas um despite our flaws and finding that and, and living it out like that last because that we've all had that experience of I know what was the right choice here and I didn't live up to my expectations or to the expectations yeah. that I agree with. Um, yeah. So I agree with you there. Um, it's funny, like you're asking about where that expectation of perfect come from. I think Christianity and me fostered it. Um, right? There's the, like the Bible verse, "Be perfect as I am perfect." Like that. That probably didn't like. <laughs> probably didn't not foster it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, hey, sometimes you're imperfect, and then, you know, like everybody's everybody struggles, right? That's not that's not what I was ingrained with. Yeah. But but to to defend that, um, like I don't think that's the actual source of it either, right? I think that we like you can blame it on Christianity, but like every every worldview has that. Every worldview has, like my kids aren't growing up nearly to the same degree um, of of indoctrination when it comes to Christianity. Um, and they have shame and they have, um, all, all sorts of like, cause that's a human experience. So I think, um, it's built into our wiring. I think also when you think about kids, right? Like for the most part, their parents, like, I think our perception of parents, right? Like, I'm not sure when you realize dad wasn't, um, Superman or when you realize mom yeah. wasn't a superhero, but at some point we, we have consciousness and realize, oh, my parents are flawed. Um, hope, hopefully everybody like reaches that place and accepts that. Um, but I think when when your parent is Superman for, at young ages, it can feel like they don't make mistakes. And I found with my my kids, one of the fastest ways to get them out of the shame spiral is to say, I remember when I, I was that. your age, I did X. Mm-hmm. Right? I remember when I got a timeout. I remember when mom took away my <laughs> whatever. Um, and like, really, that happened? Because like, and it's surprising every time to them. That happened, dad? You did that? Yeah, I did that, right? Um, just to recognize that they're not alone in it is huge that's kind of the rupture and repair piece even right hey remember when dad yelled at you i made mistakes sorry right you're not you're not the only one in our family that needs to apologize so yeah it's just good to be aware of like are we creating this expectation that they don't fail you know expecting perfection from five-year-olds you know yeah Yeah. it's a good reminder for me (laughs) yeah no me too oh um, there was actually a moment in your message where I paused. I stopped the recording to write this down. And it was when you said, have you ever said about someone, it's like they're living in a different reality. It's because they are. <laughs> and I, I like paused it. Um, I feel like I just need to say. <laughs> just cried and said no. They, <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for saying that because. Um, it's such a good reminder of everybody is living in their own reality. It's like, mm-hmm. I did that talk a long time ago. And he's like, where I talked about like your brain is literally like a TV set watching life. Yeah. Um, and you just have that view of things. Um, and I, I just think it's really important to remember. And I'm thankful for that, like trigger yeah. point of, literally people are living in a different reality than you are i think it's helpful um it gives you more i think it gives you more wiggle room to re- uh, give up on your bad beliefs mm-hmm. right like because if if you if you're living in the perspective of i'm definitely right on everything like yeah if i let go of one of those then i've been wrong on everything right so, so it's like no no i have 100 beliefs and 
10 of them are going to trickle off every six months um, is hopefully a little bit more humble posture. I also think it just gives you so much more grace for people um, because like, again, you don't know like that person who's making that terrible choice on Facebook. They're such an idiot. Like you don't know what they've talked, like who they've been talking to this week. You don't know who's like all the people liking their posts and texting them outside. So I'm so proud of you for making that really bold and courageous choice. Like all of those things um, are contributing to our choices and they're contributing to how people arrive at choices. So I just want to live with a little bit more grace for people too, knowing that like, well, maybe if they had a different um, set of social incentives and um, different world, I know if they have a different worldview that they would make different choices. So I think it just like, gives us a little more empathy for people. For sure, which is important, especially. Yeah. I feel like, especially right now, there's just like emotions flying high and strong feelings about lots of things. Yeah. Um, I don't think that means you have to agree with them. So I, I'm not yeah. saying everybody who makes a choice different than you, you should definitely like consider all that choices and, and probably adopt it. I'm not saying that. I'm more just saying to, to like get rid of some of the emotional, the ego appeal, like, of, like that there's so many triggering experiences that we have, right? Whether it's social media or a news article or somebody says something, a friend posts something. Yeah. Um, and it can be exhausting emotionally to like have to, keep defending why you're right and they're wrong mm -hmm. um, or or they're dumb or they you know they're like it's just a that's an exhausting game to play yeah. um that i don't think is that beneficial i don't think it helps us live live productively ultimately so anyways i think that's why yeah. it's important i sometimes do this like exercise in my brain where i take a pause in the middle of the day and i try to picture what my kids are seeing in that moment from their perspective. And it's really crazy how like quickly that can turn some of my behavior or my actions. Um, where I, I literally try to step out of my body and picture my kids watching this moment of me making their lunch or me mm -hmm. sitting watching them. Um, just as a reminder of like, the, the world does not exist as I see it. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's like four little eyes always in the room right. with me watching yeah. it seeing it differently yeah well i think that example that's a fantastic example that is ultimately like you practicing when, when you do that that's practicing empathy right the ability to like yeah. use your creative mind to visualize the experience of someone, someone else's else. experience mm -hmm. right so so whether it's somebody who's a different gender or race or socioeconomic status or political affiliation to like try to envision a world where they see like how they see the world is empathy and yeah. that's a, a skill that has to be developed i think i've told you about this before but Brittany, when we had little benny he's not too he's not little at all he's our largest job but um, he's big <laughs> he's big but we took um she would she did a, a program called roots of empathy and they would take um she would take benny into a, a children's classroom because it's been like the turn like there's so much studies to talk about how empathy, when there's empathy skills, when a human understands what empathy is and is able to like foster those skills, it impacts everything. It impacts like their ability to get a job, their ability to have meaningful relationships with other people, um, their like their ability to be a, a healthy parent, a healthy uncle or, or aunt. It's like massive when it comes to human flourishing is this empathy skill. So the Roots of Empathy program, they take a little one-year-old baby or younger into a kid's classroom, the kids all circle up, and they like facilitate conversations with the kids 
reading the face of the baby. Like, what do you think the baby's feeling right now? What do you think the baby's like, what do you think the experience of this baby is right now? And really like helping them start to recognize how facial, like being able to look at somebody's face and see, <laughs> and then envision what they're experiencing. Cause that's skill building for a little second grader, third grader has massive implications for how they're going to live their life. So anyways, um, that program is fantastic, but it's also an example of like how important that habit or that trait of empathy. It's not a trait. It's a, it's a skill that we can develop um, is in terms of its impact in people's lives. <laughs> that thing that I do was prompted by a really silly meme of like, a mom looking down at her baby, you know, laying across her lap mm -hmm. and like what she sees. And then a reverse picture of what the baby sees, which is mom's like quadruple chin and like the <laughs> weird faces that we make in our babies. Yeah. <laughs> and for yeah. whatever reason, that's always stuck with me of like, oh my gosh, this weird view of this baby looking up at me. Yeah. Um, and it's transitioned all the way into my That's fantastic. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, right? We can maybe take ourselves a little less seriously too. I know. <laughs> Okay, so I have a random question for you. You talked about our algorithm. Mm. I know you're not on social media, but I just have to ask you. Okay, so my favorite thing about Instagram is when I go into Instagram search and it like okay. shows all these different things that I could look at and it, they have these algorithm, algorithms that start mm -hmm. remembering what you like to look at. Yeah. So I know you're not on Instagram, it's but like I want to know what would, your, what would your algorithm report about you? <laughs> what would it show? All instruction videos. Um, oh. What else would it show? I mean, certainly I love to read and I love to, I mean, I'm kind of a dad and I have my hobbies and I have my fam. Um, but in terms of like my algorithm, it would obviously skew for dislikes. So it's going to be like liberal stuff um, and progressive minded stuff. Mine, just so I can interrupt you and tell you, mine is The Bachelor, mm. The Royal Family, Fun. Mom Parenting Memes, in like food, <laughs> weird food related things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm not trying to be um, serious on this question. I'm just saying. Oh, you're exactly. <laughs> well, well, currently it'd be definitely golf instruction videos. It would be succession because this is our, by far our favorite show on HBO. It's oh, succession on television. Um, okay. If you like dark things that'll make you sad, it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think it's interesting. Um, and then just also to dad stuff, right? Like, fam, I'm in fam mode, man. Four kids under nine. We're like family people. I know. Okay. Um, I, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but you talked about how getting familiar with, I used to think yeah. this way, or I used to think that way. Um, and just commentary here. I feel like one of the, the things I'm most proud about and that I really emphasize with my kids right now is teaching them how to say, I changed my mind. Mm -hmm. And I have emphasized it so much that my kids say it all of the time. <laughs> um, they'll be like, oh, I changed my mind. I don't want that book. I changed my mind. I want grapes yeah. instead of apples. Oh, I changed yeah. my mind. I won't want that underwear. I want this underwear. I want these shoes, yeah. not that shoes. And they just say it all of the time. And every time they do it, it kind of makes my heart, my heart like sore. Proud. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Because I want them to understand that that is a good way of being in the world. Yeah. Of being able to be like, hmm, oh, I changed my mind on that. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a really good thing. Um, and I love how you're fostering that. I might, I might steal that and use that more. I don't think we do it in the same way. Um, but I like, I like the emphasis on like that as, an, as a normal thing and a good yes. thing. Yes. 
I don't know. I, I just think too, if you consider like how much life has changed, I'm 37 mm-hmm. and how much has life changed since I was 17, right? Like yeah. in 20 years, like what's happened? And there's been a lot that's happened in 20 years and yeah. 20 years is just like the absolute blip on the radar when it comes to the history of just America, let alone the history of civilization. And then obviously yeah. the big bang, all that stuff that on the absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, um, I'm just like zooming out, right? If you yeah. zoom out, like just in terms of like consciousness um, and then life. So I think it's, I think it's okay to, I don't know. I just think the requirements to change your mind weren't as necessary two decades ago. I don't mm-hmm. think, I just think you could thrive and you could be very successful and you could have all these like things that will reward you without evolving um, a lot more 50 years ago. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong. I, I, easy for me to say I wasn't like 50 years ago. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that it's, it's always been rewarded um, to, to be on the cutting edge at some level or at least be open to change because things have changed a lot and even uh, last 50, 75 years, right? So I think just the changing a lot is all I'm highlighting. And so I think having that be something we're more comfortable with is how is the pace of change mm-hmm. um, and recognizing that our ability to kind of change with the planet's changing and society's changing is, is going to help us. Um, it is a required skill. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a much more positive spin on something too of like, mm-hmm. I changed my mind involves, I considered new information. I weighed this and not with my kids being like, I want grapes instead of apples, but like for, it's just a much more positive way to interact with your thoughts rather than I was wrong. Yeah. That's just like a harder thing to get us to with our ego and things like that. So I'm trying to facilitate things not being wrong, but just. I changed my mind. I view it differently now. I have new information. I feel like that's really important in the worldview that we're trying to live our lives through. It's just the ability to be like, oh, I I think differently about that now. I think it's great, Kate, because I think too, going back to the imperfection piece, like starting like as I don't think the encouragement is like get comfortable with saying all this the stupid beliefs you used to hold, right? Mm -hmm. Um, like there can be a really negative framing of that, but to recognize how much information we are I mean, we just in the last, think about how the internet has happened in my lifetime, right? I'm a millennial. And one of the unique parts of being a millennial is you're kind of life before the internet, life after the internet. I'm not a millennial. So close. I am the weird, like, if you're born between 1980 and 1984, there's like a special, of course, I'm special. I grew up with analog and adapted to. Yeah, exactly. But access to information is something that is new in our lifetime if yeah. to that degree, right? Like my mom used to tell me to go look it up in the encyclopedia and I'd be like, Ugh. right? Like go yeah. thumb through stuff and I hated it. Yeah. And now my kids are like, hey, can you Google that for me? Like, hey, can you yeah. look, look up a YouTube video on how to change a bike really? tire? Because we can definitely do it if you just looked up the video, dad. Yeah. So I think um, like recognizing that that's huge in our lifetime, let alone now one decade ago, basically. Yeah. Now you have access to everything on a supercomputer in your phone. The, the, the technology in your phone was better technology than what sent astronauts to the moon in 1969. Yeah. Right. Like crazy. they had worse computers than we have in our pockets now. Our pockets. So it's crazy. Well, I think that's an important thing to embrace when you're talking about worldview and values and the way that you organize your life. Um, it has to be with 
the information that's available to you in making mm-hmm. those decisions. And there's a lot of information available to yeah. you. So yeah, that can feel overwhelming for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. One of the last things I wanted to ask you on be conscious of time is I texted you last night and I said, <laughs> I'm ready for tomorrow. And, um, I joked about how you ended with, I think we're delusional. And you texted me back and said, I know, super inspiring stuff. (laughs) So I want to ask you, what about this worldview that you kind of, this piece of your worldview, um, what about it is actually inspiring? Because we need to be inspired in order to live and move forward. And some of the stuff that the biases and things like that can make you start to really get in your head about in a negative direction. So Mm -hmm. what about what you talked about is actually inspirational to you in the way that you live. That's great. Um, I am inspired to live intentionally and meaningfully. Um, Meaningfully, those are really like maybe broad words that can be interpreted in a hundred different ways. But I think I've talked about this before, like to even life as a gift, love is the point. I want to experience love and I want to give as much love. I, I want to remove blocks in my life that prevent me from loving other people well. Um, and so what I think that the inspiring piece for this worldview is that it recognizes that there's blocks that I am bringing to the table as opposed to just blaming external sources. Mm-hmm. The problems of the world are all out there. If all you idiots would just get on board, <laughs> the world would be a better place, right? Yeah. If everybody thinks that way. Like if you think about, even if you're right, even if you're definitely the one that like got it nailed, how many other people are going to like get on board with your ideas? Uh, and so I think if we all live that way as if everybody else is the problem, um, I just think that's not going to create great outcomes. And I don't think it's inspiring for me to live well. Like ultimately that doesn't, that doesn't give me love for people. That gives me judgment. That gives me, that doesn't foster empathy in me. Um, so what I do appreciate about this worldview, while it's a little unsettling, while it doesn't <laughs> give me the chance to say, I definitely know this is the right choice for X reasons, or God told me to do it. Like that used to like be so comforting as God wants me to do it. Um, and I don't think that's even a wrong perspective. To be clear, I'm not saying you shouldn't have that. Um, I think, I, I don't know. I think that there's people that I made a lot of good choices with that worldview. <laughs> a lot of choices that I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I made that choice. And that was my perspective at the time. So I'm not even saying that's wrong. I'm saying that's just not where how I frame things today. Um, my perspective with recognizing my bias and my delusion, I think is just, it's, it's a default humility. It's the goal there. Um, and when we look back on ancient people a thousand years ago, they, they called the moon and stars different things than we call them today, right? And they called their reality different things and, and they were delusional, right? They had a story, a, a meaning-making story that made sense of what was going on, right? And not all of it, some of it was actually grounded in science and data, not all of it was. Um, and that's where we're at today too, right? We have more data on the science front, but there's a plenty that we don't know, right? There's, there's just as big of a box <laughs> as ever of things that are mystery. Um, so I think that that perspective of we have bias, we, we don't see things with objective reality. I think that the inspiring things for me there are, it keeps me humble, which I think automatically helps relationships, automatically helps people that I want to be in relationship with and want to give love and experience love with. 
And the other thing I think it helps foster is, is me growing and me um, being open to changing and me um, hopefully being a better version of myself a decade from now than I am today. Um, because I know that I need to keep updating my software, right? Like I, I was going to share this, but like I think there's a couple, just two, I'm going to, I'm going to, put the whole world into two categories. There's those who update their apps and those who don't. I am a, I'm an app updater every night. I know I'm gonna sound like just like the guy, but I'm just like, yep, every night I update my apps and put my phone down. Brittany, she does it once a year when her phone stops working. Man, that's and, Yeah, and that's okay. I'm like, I'm but gonna I'm, wait for I, Peter to do it to make sure there's no problems. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna be I'm gonna a late adopter. All the problems <laughs> before I <laughs> Totally, all those bug fixes that we uh -huh. need. Yeah, I'm, I'm teasing about two types of people in the world. All I'm highlighting is, I think if we view our worldview as software to update, as opposed to something to cling to and something yeah. that def to defend as our part of our identity, um, I just think that allows us to, um, I think, move the world in a positive direction. I think more people are, are can get there. Um, I think that will help not just our, our personal relationships, but hopefully our overall our overall species get along better and, and work together more. That's my inspiring stuff. I don't know if that works for everybody. I'm not asking that to work for everybody. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I I think in my talk, I'm saying like, if you, I don't know. I think I did say this. If you think that you don't have bias, you're delusional. Like that data says you do. It You do have bias. And I'm saying that's a good thing because that gives you like so much more freedom to change all your positions. And that gives you freedom to love your uncle who's the worst, right? Like that, that yeah. gives you like a lot more capacity um, to like live meaningfully. And I think ultimately, how do you live meaningfully? It's experiencing love. It's giving love and, and receiving love is what makes the life meaningful, not being right. And so if we accept that we're right sometimes yeah. and not right frequently, <laughs> that gives me more capacity to do what actually makes the life worth meaningful, which is love and receive love. So that part is inspiring. Okay, <laughs> i'm glad you asked because i'm not sure i highlighted that as much as some of the other as, as how wrong we are <laughs> good thing there's a week too you know yeah good thing um thank you thanks for your time thanks for putting together that message and for giving us all stuff to think about appreciate yeah, you for interviewing me. appreciate the, the follow-up thank you for joining us to make a donation head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.